Can you hear me all right back there? James? Okay. Very good. All right. Well, I believe we finally got fall, looks like. My heat kicked on this morning for the first time that I noticed it anyway, so I know some of y'all probably had heat on for several weeks, but it did kick on this morning, so I guess we're getting close to fall or not already there. We'll probably have a couple hot days, though, you know how it goes before we get to winter. Uh, glad everyone's here this morning. Uh, before we begin, we do need to go over our prayer list. Uh, I have a few on our list here this morning. Uh, we need to remember Kim and, and Scott Sitton and the family. Uh, she lost her uh, grandmother, Virginia Lynn, Lamb, on uh, the 30th, and there was a graveside service, I guess, yesterday. Is that right? So, Kim's still up there, I guess, right? And, uh, so, uh, remember that family at this time. Um, Teresa Heilman's father, Howard Goodman, has been diagnosed with uh, kidney failure and cancer. So uh, please remember her dad this time. Uh, not sure how the, far the cancer spread. Apparently they're waiting some test results. So uh, please remember her and her family this time. Uh, James Morris, mother, sister, and brother-in-law are all battling the virus. So remember the Morris family at this time. Uh, and Ronnie Patterson, Betty Penner's cousins, with diagnosed with cancer in her bones, lungs, and liver. So need to remember them as well. Anyone else need to be praying about this time before we go to Father's prayer? Anyone? All right, let's have a prayer before we begin today. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we we honor you. We praise you as our Father and our God, and we just hallelujah. We just thank you for your. Your love for us, and we praise your name, Father, we thank you for your Son. Thank you so much for Him. We thank you for this opportunity to be able to come together as your children in your kingdom and be able to praise you and worship you and, and uh, have uh, fellowship with one another uh, that we might be edified and encouraged in our daily lives, Father, and our growth spiritually. And we just ask you to continue to bless us in the way that you do and that we might continue to thrive, especially in your kingdom. In your service, Father, and, and love for you, Father, we ask you to be with those now who are, are on our prayer list that we've mentioned here today that are, are mourning the loss of a loved one or are uh, fighting this nasty virus, Father. We ask you to be with them, help them be comforted or healed if possible, Father. And we thank you for uh, the love that uh, they have for their fellow loved ones and help us to be able to uh, comfort them and love them in the way that uh, we need to do, Father. We just thank you for all that. We ask you to be with them. Be with those uh, who are fighting this virus all over the world, Father. It's such a nasty thing. And we know this world's not perfect. There is sin and death in this world. And we ask you to eradicate this virus if possible. Uh, help us to get past it. Uh, we might get back to some kind of normalcy in our lives. So, and be able to, to continue to live uh, in a, in a, without, the, without the virus. Father, we just ask you to do that. We ask you to be with us during this time today, Father, as we study from the Gospel of John and learn more about Jesus' life, about what Apostle John had to say about his life, and to help us to take that and apply it in a way that's practical in our lives and helps us grow spiritually. We ask you to be with our nation this time, Father, with the election coming up, uh, with a new, new president that's going to be elected, uh, uh, whether it would be the previous one or the current one. We ask that you be with those who uh, are administering the election, that they might be able to handle that properly. 
And we just ask that you uh, be with us as we go through this time, remembering that you are in control and your will be done. We uh, thank you for the love that you give to us, for the opportunity to have eternal life one day with you. Uh, and we just ask you to continue to forgive us from our sin, for we do fall short. And we thank you for Jesus. It's his name we pray at this time. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> well, uh, if you've been here the last month, and many of you have, uh, you know we've been studying the Gospel of John. And the Gospel of John is one of four Gospels that describe events that occurred in the life of Jesus. We, we understand our Lord came to earth and was dwelt among us, lived among us in the flesh, and we learn about him through these Gospels and from the letters and other things in the New Testament. But the Gospel of John is, is one of the most, is, is the one I love probably more than any of them. It's very different in the first three. We've talked about that, how the first three are called the Synoptic Gospels because they are very similar. But John's Gospel is very different. <clears throat> it's written in a different style, mentions many different events, doesn't mention a lot of the events that you see in the first three Gospels. And we understand that the Gospel of John was written for a specific reason. We've gone over this each week, and we want to do it again today. Turn over to John chapter 20. Now let's read what John has to say about why this Gospel was written. John 20, verse 30. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing, you may have life in His name. It don't get any better than that, folks. I mean, that's it right there, right? This gospel is written that you might have life. You want, you want to have life? Of course. Of course we do. This is why the gospel of John was written. Wonderful statements. Wonderful statements by the Apostle John, who was there during the life of Jesus. Last week, we talked about how uh, the followers of Jesus beheld his glory, right? We were in, still in the prologue of the first chapter of John, and we saw what he had to say about that. He said that Jesus came and dwelt among us in the flesh. He was there in the beginning. The Word was in the beginning with God and was God. And in verse 14, he says, he came and dwelt among men. And men beheld his glory. How do we, how do we talk about that? Uh, what do we say that he, we were able to there to help his glory? Well, they saw his deity, didn't they? They saw that he was God. How so? One way was the transfiguration. Remember, we talked about that, how he was transfigured on the mount. His uh, face shone, his clothes uh, shone. And the apostles saw that, and they were, you know, amazed. They also saw Moses and Elijah with them, and they, you know, Peter even wanted to build altars to the others as well, which he was told not to do. But they saw the greatness of Jesus. They saw that he was not just a man. He was God. And yet even after that, though, right, when it came to the end, they still doubted then. There were still doubts in their minds, right, until that resurrection occurred. Well, how, what was another way we saw that uh, he, he, they beheld his glory? Well, what, what was one of the great things that Jesus did? He performed miracles, right? He was out there helping those who were in need, healing the sick, raising the dead. 
He performed those miracles. And the apostles were able to see that. They beheld that glory. Let's go back to John chapter 1 there and just read a few verses again and see that. Beginning verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, This was one, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. And of his fullness we have all received, and grace for grace, for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who was in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. So they saw his grace and his truth. Remember we said, Jesus answered Pilate's question when he said, are you a king? And he says, thus I am. And he said, where is your kingdom? He said, my kingdom's none of this world. And he said, why did you come? Because I came bearing witness of the truth. We had the prophets. We had Moses. We had John the Baptist, who we'll talk about today. They bore witness of that truth, but they were not the embodiment of that truth. Jesus came in the flesh, and he was the truth. This is it. This is what it's all about. Right here. And he had grace. Grace to those who loved him, and grace to those who were his enemies. He showed grace in everything he did. We also see there his preeminence. His preeminence as God, as the creator. He was there in the beginning. He created the universe. He created the world. And his revelation. What did he say there in that last verse? No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of his Father, he has declared it. To see the Father, to see God, we have to see Jesus. Simple as that. No other way to really see the Father. Oh, you can hear it from the prophets, you can hear it from the law, perhaps, that God gave, but you don't really see the Father until you see the life of Christ. By the way, in other religions, do you have anything like that? You know, I don't think you do. I think this is one. Truly one that someone came and said, I am God. You see me, you see the Father. We are one. We and the, he and the Father, we're one. Well, alright. So we saw that. We saw that his glory was beheld. And that's, that kind of finishes the prologue of the first chapter of John. Now he's going to get into the narrative more. He's going to start talking about the events that occur in Jesus' life. And he's going to start off talking about John the Baptist. In fact, we don't really see anything about the birth of Jesus in John, right? It's interesting how he gets right into the crux of the matter, you might say. In other Gospels, we read about uh, the history there with Herod and going into Egypt, particularly Luke. Uh, Joseph and Mary having to go into Egypt, of course, and then coming back eventually and Jesus being born in Bethlehem. We don't see that in John. We go right into John's ministry. Right into that. And today we're going to talk about that. As I mentioned in the prologue, we're introduced to John. Verse 6 says, He was a man sent from God. Okay? He's a man sent from God. He came to bear witness of the light. In verses 7 and 8, right? He bore witness to that preeminence, to that pre-existence of Jesus. To the fact that He was God and was the Creator. 
And then as John begins that narrative portion of his gospel, he's going to talk about John's testimony at first, right? John's testimony as to who Jesus was. Let's turn over back over to John chapter 1, if you left there, and let's look at verse 19 and begin reading there. Now this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. Then they said to him, Who are you that we may give an answer to those who sent us? What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now those who were sent were from the Pharisees. And they asked him, saying, Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? And John answered them, saying, I baptize with water. But there stands one among you whom you do not know. It is he who, coming after me, is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. These things were done in Bethabara, beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. All right. So in the first part of that passage, we see his testimony to the priests and the Levites from the, who, had been, who had been sent from the Pharisees. Now, when you have priests and Levites being sent from the Pharisees, what are they probably trying to do? You know, they're trying to find something bad going on, right? There's got to be something about this dude that we can find fault in, right? And then we'll read in a second about the testimony that he gave the next day and what he said about Jesus. And we want to look at part of that. We want to see what lessons we might glean from what John the Baptist is saying. All right? Well, what about his testimony at first? His first testimony is about himself, right? Look over in the book of Luke, and let's look at chapter 3 there. Luke chapter 3, and I want you to see this. <clears throat> 3 and uh, verse 15. Now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John, whether he was the Christ or not, John answered, saying to all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to loose. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Well, first of all, John, he don't mess around, does he? He says it like it is. He says this is going to happen. And many were thinking he was the Christ, right? He was the Messiah that had been prophesied about, particularly in Isaiah 53. And we just read in John 1 where John says he was the one crying in the wilderness. He was not the Christ. He was the one saying he's coming. He's at hand. He's going to be here. Prepare yourself. It's interesting that many wondered if he was the Christ. Uh... Many wondered if he was Elijah. Why is that? Why would they wonder if he was Elijah? Turn over to the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament there, and let's look at something there. Malachi chapter 4. <clears throat> beginning in verse 5. 
Behold, I will send you a lie to the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now we have a prophecy of the Messiah, okay? Being referred to as Elijah. And so many refer to John thinking he must be either the Christ or Elijah to come again has been prophesied about, taking that literally to be Elijah. And it turns out that John does fulfill a prophecy of coming as one speaking in the wilderness as Isaiah talks about, but he was not Christ. And he identifies that. Also, let's look over and look chapter 1. We're going to be jumping around here for a little bit, looking at these statements. I want you to see that. Luke chapter 1, verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. But the angel, angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. And you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many, from the, many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Here we have Gabriel saying that this John is going to be great. He's going to be coming. He's going to be full of the Holy Spirit from his birth. Yet he says, I am not Christ. And then turn over to Matthew chapter 11. Let's look at something there. Chapter 11, verse, starting verse 11. And this is Jesus. Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. But he who is least in the kingdom in heaven, of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets in the law prophesied until John. And if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Te Jesus testifies that he was Elijah. He was the answer to this prophecy of Malachi. He wasn't literally Elijah, but John came bearing witness of Jesus. John came as that forerunner. He came as that voice crying in the wilderness. And it's interesting here how Jesus said, There was no one greater born of women than John the Baptist. Man, that's a, that's a powerful statement coming from the Lord, right? Yet, was John the Christ? No. He says he was not. Did John have sin? Yes. Romans 3.23, all have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God. We know that Jesus was the only one without sin. The only one. So even John, as great as he was, had to live in this world. World of sin. World of darkness. Even though he was that voice crying out in the wilderness. Even though Jesus said, no one greater, born of women. He still had sin. And he was not the Christ. And John was the first one to identify that. He was not the Christ. He was not the prophet that was foretold by Moses. 
look over at Deuteronomy real quick. Why don't you see that too? I like to, I like to show these prophecies because it's, it's so good to know that the New Testament is identifying things in the Old Testament that are prophesied. Deuteronomy 18. And let's look at a passage here beginning in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear according to all you desire of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, What they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Moses foretells about a prophet like him is going to come. This prophet was indeed Jesus, not John. We know about that from Isaiah, the prophecy of the Messiah. And then turn over back over there to the book of John and go to chapter 6. And we'll see what it says about that. 6 and verse 14. <clears throat> then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is true to the prophet who is to come into the world. Right there, we have it. They know it. And then in chapter 7, verse 40, Therefore many in the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. They, they see that this is the prophet that Moses was talking about. They see that happening. And that's identified in John. This prophet that Moses talked about indeed was Jesus, not John. And as I mentioned, he was foretold about in the book of Isaiah. That passage there that John just says he was the voice of the one crying in the millers is from Isaiah 40. He was sent simply to prepare the way for the Lord. Well, what are some lessons we can take from this testimony? Well, John's, John's example is a great one for all of us, right? He's crying out in the wilderness. He's not hesitating to preach the truth, right? It's Christ that's coming. As followers of Christ, we need to take that similar road. Right? As a forerunner. Christ is coming again, right? We know that. And there are a lot of folks out there that aren't going to be saved. We need to be willing to preach and teach to others the truth. Not only that, as John did here, we need to be sure to deflect attention away from ourselves. When we teach, when we're teaching someone or, or preaching or whatever that is, it's not about us, right? It's about Him. It's about the Lord and what He did. He's coming to save us. He's coming to die for us. And we don't ever want to forget that. No matter, no matter how honored we might be, no matter how praised we might be or might get in this life, it's not about us. We can't save ourselves, and we need to be on We need to remember that He is the Christ. He is the Lord. John continues on and makes some other proclamations about Christ. He says he's preferred before him. He gave his testimony in response to these that were sent by the Pharisees, right? Uh, and what was one of the questions they said? If you're not the Christ or Elijah the prophet, why are you, why are you baptized? Because he'd been baptizing in Bethbara or Arsenal was best. Why, why was that happening? He was beyond the Jordan. <coughs> John says, it's because of the one coming after me. 
I'm preparing the way. He is preferred before me. It's not me. It's him. And he's even in the midst of all this this time. So when he's preaching, when he's baptizing in the wilderness, he knows Jesus is around. He's among them. Doesn't necessarily know who he is yet. He knows he's coming. And John goes on to say, whose sandal strap I'm not even worthy to lose. What, what was the sign that you see about the New Testament of, of humility, of service, that we see constantly? What is it about the washing of the feet, right? You come to the house, you had someone wash your feet. That was a sign of humility, right? A sign of, I'm being your servant. I'm lowering myself that I would wash your nasty, dirty feet. And they didn't have shoes like we do today, so they, you can know, imagine how that was. But John said, I'm not even worthy to loose the strap of his sandal. That's how great he was, preferred before him. He also says he's mightier than I. You turn over to Mark, I'm not going to read it, turn to Mark 1-7, he says that. Turn over here to John chapter 3. Three few verses about that. John chapter 3, verse, uh, let's start with uh, 30. He simply says, He must increase, but I must decrease. This is John the Baptist. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one received his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God does not give the Spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Who believes the Son has everlasting life and he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. He must increase, I must decrease. As children of God, we have to humble ourselves, right? We have to constantly put Him first, us last. And I know that's not easy to do, is it? It's not easy to put everything else above yourself. Sure, for something you love, though, it's not quite as hard, is it? Like your children, maybe, your spouse, parents. I mean, it's a little bit easier to lower yourself and serve someone who you love, right? Not necessarily your enemies, perhaps, if you had any. Not necessarily somebody that you don't know very well. And that's part of it. You've got to know the Lord and put Him first. That's a, that's a lesson we can take from that. We should not hesitate to raise Jesus above all, exalting, right? He should be preferred before us. Look over at Ephesians chapter 1 real quick. <clears throat> How do we do that? Ephesians chapter 1. Well, notice this verse in verse 22. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body. Fullness of him who fills all, who fills all in all. In other words, he is the head of the church, of the kingdom of heaven. God has put him at the right hand, put, put all things under his feet, gave him full authority. 
So, in essence, he's our king. He is our king. We are to serve him. We are to humble ourselves before him. We are to put our, make ourselves decrease and prefer him above all else. If you understand that, it makes it a little easier to understand who God, who Christ is, where he is at this time. He is reigning in his kingdom. He deserves our humble service because of his power. He's mightier than us. He's mightier than John the Baptist. Because of his preexistence, he was there in the beginning with God and because of his headship of the body. Well, on the next day, John the Baptist has another opportunity to say some things about Jesus. And what is that? Turn back over to John chapter 1. And let's look at that. Uh, beginning in verse 29. John 1, 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is, <clears throat> this is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me. For he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptizing with water. There you go. And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. He declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right there, verse 29. That's it. He says he's the Lamb of God. He's the one. He's the one that's preferred before him. He was one in preexistence. And he's now the Savior of the world, the Son of God. Turn over to Titus chapter 3. Don't you see something there? Chapter 3. And let's just start with verse 1 there. <clears throat> Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. We didn't do anything. He did. We're not saved by anything that we do. He did. We can have all the great works in the world, but we're still sinners. And the only way we can be saved is by the blood that was shed by the Lamb of God. That's what John's saying here. We're saved by that blood of the Lamb, Revelation 1 and 5. Therefore, when we preach or teach, what should we be doing? Preaching about the Lamb of God. That people are sinners, and they're not going to be saved unless they believe on the Lamb of God. He's their only hope. And we should proclaim him, Jesus Christ, and him crucified. So if he's truly preferred before us, we should never hesitate to offer. 
We should never hesitate to offer the blood of the Lamb that takes the sin of the world away. And we note what else he says about Jesus here. It's another statement he says. Well, in verse 31 and 33, at first he said what? I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore I came baptized in the water. First of all, John says, I, I didn't know who the Christ was. Right? They were related. We know that. We know that from Luke. We know that they were, I guess, cousins, right? More or less. Yet Jesus lived in Nazareth. John lived in the Judean desert, at least as he was, he was uh, working out his ministry. So they weren't in the same region. So you didn't really necessarily know who Jesus was. Even if they had a casual acquaintance, probably didn't know yet that he was the Messiah, right? That he came baptizing with water that the Christ might be revealed to Israel. We just read how he found that out, right? But let's turn over to the book of Matthew and read a little, another account of that. A little more vivid account of it. Matthew chapter uh, 3. <clears throat> Matthew 3, uh, let's start in verse 11. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need, I need to be baptized by you, and you, are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice from heaven, a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. John said he was told the Spirit would descend upon him. He was able to see that. It remained upon him. And he knew that this was the Christ. The one that he was preaching about. The one that he was warning people about was coming. This occurred when Jesus was baptized by John. John says, I'm not worthy to baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Yet, Jesus said, because... Fulfillment of the prophecy, we need to do it. Fulfillment of all the law, we need to do it. John saw the Spirit descending upon Jesus like a dove, and he testified to that same truth. And he was, we read about, he says, the, the voice came to heaven, this is my beloved son. Well, here we have John the Baptist, born of Christ, prophesied about, Jesus said there was no one greater. And he's saying, Jesus has to increase, I have to decrease. That's a great example for us, right? <clears throat> uh, here we have the one who was full of spirit from the day he was born. Yeah, he's preaching, there's one greater than I come. As I mentioned, it's hard to perhaps put someone ahead of yourself. 
Because we live in a world uh, that's not built around that, right? Our world is all about whoever gets the most toys wins, right? It's all about promoting yourself, being the best, you know? I mean, you watched football yesterday. You wanted your team to be the best, right? Of course you did. You were rooting them on. And if your team won, you felt pretty good about it, didn't you? And if your team lost, you didn't feel so good about it. It's all about being number one, isn't it? It's all about promoting yourself. John the Baptist says, I got to decrease. He's got to increase. When it gets right down to it, nothing else matters, right? But whether you believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, as John the Baptist testified, right? Turn over to John chapter 5 real quick. <clears throat> Five and verse thirty-three. Actually, let's start verse thirty-one. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Yet I did not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was the burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. He bore witness to the truth. He was a burning and shining light, and which some were willing to rejoice. If nothing else, we can take John's example and apply it to our lives, right? We can say we are willing to rejoice in this testimony. Knowing John was not the Christ, but understanding that Jesus preferred above all others. Nothing else because John said it. John says Jesus is preferred. Accepting that Jesus is the true Lamb of God, just as John said. Accepting Jesus to be the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Willing to confess along with John, that Jesus is the Son of God. Are we willing to confess Jesus as the Son of God? We can say we're willing, right? We can say that, but do we do it? If someone says to you, are you a Christian? What do you say? You might say, yeah, I'm a Christian. But what does that mean? It might be easy to say yes, but saying yes and doing it in practice. Confessing Jesus in the face of persecution is a different thing, isn't it? We have to be willing to do that. We have to be willing to say, Jesus is the truth. He came into the world in the flesh. He was the embodiment of grace and truth. Is that easy to do? When you're at work, someone's saying something about religion and how ridiculous it is and how, oh, that's just a crutch for people who are afraid to die. You ever heard that? Or that's just silly Christians, and they're a bunch of idiots. They believe in something stupid. 
kind of feel kind of funny about saying something about it? Or do you actually say, nope, I'm following the truth. This is the true way. Jesus said the only way to see the Father is the end. We can take confidence in John the Baptist, right? What eventually happened to John the Baptist? His head got cut off. Remember that? Would we be willing to go to the point of death proclaiming that Jesus is the Lamb of God? Well, that's a tough thought, isn't it? We're, we're not really faced with that, are we? At least not here in America. Not yet, anyways. Maybe one day. John was. John knew where his heart was. He knew where his faith was. He knew where he was going. If you know where you're going, it makes it a little easier to say some stuff, doesn't it? Makes it a little easier to confess the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe that's part of it, though. Maybe you don't necessarily know where you're going. Right? You can. Maybe there's some things in your life that you need to get rid of. Maybe there's some things you're struggling with that you know, I need, I need to stop this. I need to get rid of it. I need to get it out of my life. I need to get busy doing the work of the Lord. That's all part of it. That's all part of that growth we talk about, right? You can't just stay where you are. You've got to keep moving forward. Part of that is confessing the name of the Lord. When you do that, you grow. When you do that, you gain strength. You gain confidence. Do you ever notice that? Talking about all these ball teams yesterday. You think team won yesterday without doing anything before that? No, they had to practice, right? They had to work at it. They had to go through some stuff. Same way in your Christian life. You've got to go through some stuff. It's not easy. It's not something you just wake up one day and you know how to do it all and, and you know, it's all great. We've got a lot of problems in this world. You gotta have some confidence. And you can use John the Baptist. Perfect example. Perfect example. He did it. The prophets did it. The apostles did it. Many before us have done it. You probably got some family members that did it. Friends, you can do it too. Be willing to confess his name. Yeah, we, we can come in here and we can we can say, I need I need to. I need to have my sins forgiven. I need to obey the Lord. And that's, that's not easy to do, but then going out and being an example of the world is kind of tough, isn't it? Especially in a world that, as Jesus said, is going to hate you like it did him. A world that doesn't want to see the light. A world that doesn't want to see the Lord in the flesh. <clears throat> that's going to perhaps call you names. That's going to have to put you down. Those are all things we've got to think about. <clears throat> so I would encourage you today, if you're wavering in your faith, and I know this is just Bible class, we're not in worship yet. Now is as good a time as any to make that commitment. 
Be willing to confess his name to anybody around you, not just here in church. Make that commitment. It might be a little tough at times, but you will be strong for it, and you will be growing spiritually, and guess what? Your reward will await you in heaven. What else do you need? Right? John the Baptist said it. <clears throat> he is the Son of God. We can grab a hold of that and we can claim that and be gone. All right, time's up. Thanks for being here this way. <clears throat>